0: And I'm actually going to tell you right now what the surprise end is. There is cake after service. (laughs) That is the surprise ending. Something that you guys can anticipate. There is cake that will be available. A nice chocolate cake with lots of icing, if you like icing. Almost too much icing on some of the areas of balloons and things like that. But there is cake. So I'm not above bribery is basically what I'm saying here. So, So if you can... Be with me for the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, you know, there's some cake, and and, and we can enjoy it. Uh, it actually leads into what we're going to be reading this morning, but let's go ahead and read Revelation uh, chapter 21. Uh, this morning's sermon's from from 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, "Behold, I am making all things new." And he said, "Write, for these words are faithful and true." Then he said to me, "It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Beginning and the End. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of life, spring of the water of life, without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things." and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Pray with me. to Heavenly Father, we just ask in this moment that uh, that you speak into our hearts, that you illuminate this text for each of us to see how how this text is just Absolutely an amazing passage, a promise. And may you just guide and direct us and help us anticipate the day that the new heaven and the new earth come. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, this passage I think reveals a lot about something called anticipation. Um, what is it that we anticipate? This is actually I'm going to do a question and answer. So even though you didn't do open mic, you still might. What do you anticipate in life? What have you anticipated? Do you know? Everybody knows anticipating. I would say is that uh, it's that place where our mind, our emotions, our body, we're eagerly awaiting to do something, or maybe anxiously awaiting to do something, um, uh, some future event. What do we anticipate? I would say like a good example of this would be a first date. What else? Vacation. That's a good one. Going, going to school? Wow. What it? Graduation, finishing school, going to school, finishing school. <laughs> what do you anticipate? Start of a new job. That's great. Absolutely. Let's see, I said a big test sometimes. That might be more of the anxious awaiting. Um, promotion, a year-end bonus, maybe. Uh, what's that? Retirement. There you go. You you can anxiously await retirement. Yes. Sometimes it's a little bit more. Uh, sometimes a little bit more smaller events too. Like how many people eagerly await Apple to announce their next iPhone? I don't. But but some people do. You know, like these these big events are put on, or the next model of a particular supercar, or something like that. There you go. The next episode of a good show. That's a, that's a good example. The birth of a yeah, the birth of a child. Promotions absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What about the next holiday? And Or the changing of the seasons. Yes. Or perhaps realizing that you just got caught and you're going to get in trouble and there's an awkward conversation that's going to have to happen. Or, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, the the, uh, the passing of a loved one who's been dealing, you know, with, with, with something for a while. Um, that could also be anticipation and um, Or it could be something even like a winning lottery ticket. You could be anticipating that, but that is not a good place to put your trust in your faith. <laughs> you can be anticipating that one and likely would forever so that, but that comes in it 's like what do you anticipate? Is it trustworthy? Are they going to fulfill what they say um, there 's a lot of different things, and I think that when we come into this, one of the things that happens that we 've tapped into in our society and it goes through things. With anticipation, there's something called the reveal. Does everybody know what the reveal is? Like, if you think about a a TV show or a movie or, uh, or something, you have a trailer for a movie that gives you just a little glimpse of what's gonna come. The iPhone is a great example. They do these big product, you know, events just to tell you what's gonna come in ten months. The reveal. And yet we get so wrapped up in them, and it really kind of gives us, oh, it's, it's actually... They're not just talking about it. It's not just the next best video gaming system. It's actually a, a, a testable product, and it's going to be here in a short amount of time. It's coming. It's here. That's the reveal. Well, there's one other event that we actually didn't mention, but is actually, I think, one of the things... One of the most real ways that we anticipate... One of the biggest events that we anticipate in our lives for most people, and that is our wedding day. And the reveal... You go to the next one. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, that's good. The reveal is when your bride steps out for the first time in her dress and is escorted down the aisle. You know, from from the moment of engagement up to there, there she is at the back, and you're you're up front, so you're seeing them, and everybody turns and looks. That's the big reveal, isn't it? That's like this this culmination of all this stuff, all these promises that are that have been made since in the engagement. And, and and it's this reveal and it's and it's a moment that looks just like that. Filled with emotion. Um I'm gonna talk about this just a little bit. Um Amanda and I got engaged and we got married ten months later. So there was a period of anticipation during that ten months. A period where in fact, for the last three months, I was out here and she still was in Colorado. So we weren't even in the same state. We couldn't even see each other at the same time, you know, on, on a daily basis going into it. So there's a lot of anticipation, looking forward to this day that our lives would come together. Um, you know, the commitment and the promise that we made of love to each other. This day, I'll tell you what, as we're both there, this day was a day of joy, definitely of joy. But it was also anxiety. I mean, Vulnerability. Were they actually? Was Amanda actually going to show up? Was she not going to turn and go? Ru- <laughs> was she going to go turn and run away? You know, I mean, there's movies, you know, that talk about this stuff, you know. Uh, but also just the emotion of it. I mean, you're very vulnerable. You know, it's it's one of those things. I, I'll sh- I'll share this from my perspective. But you know, she came out and and she said, you know, I was about ready to cry starting walking down here. And while everybody's turned and looking at her, I actually make a face at her from from up front. Which caught her to kind of laugh and got through that, that just that little point, and I don't know why, because I was actually probably about ready to cry too, and so I made a face instead of crying, and it caused us both to kind of laugh, and then we were able to move forward, you know. But it's just those those little moments, the things that grab us, you know. Those are in anticipation. This was a big moment. This uh, this reveal. Um, at this moment, we're not married yet. That's not going to happen until the end of the service. Actually, probably not until in the middle of the reception when we sign the paperwork. But, but, you know, really, you know, most people will say, you know, you service, you know, you get up there and you do that. But at this point, it's happening. It is coming. The fulfillment of that promise is now upon us. Um, one other thing that I'd like to just talk about real quickly with here is during that engagement period, I was not thinking like the guys in The Hangover. You know the movie The Hangover? Um, yeah, I had a bachelor's party. Um, that was fun. But I was looking forward to the day of being married, not what can I do until my life ends because I get married. There's a big difference in the way that we approach this moment. You know, I mean, yeah, there's some stuff. Looking back on it, yeah, I had a lot more freedom when I was individual, like as in I don't have to actually check with somebody else if I want to go do something, or or what I spend my money on, or, you know, all this other stuff. But that wasn't the end of the world. It's actually better now that I have to check. Hey, do you want to go do this or not? You know, it's it's actually more fulfilling than just running around and doing this. And I think that's one of the things... The Hangover is a, honey- a funny movie, but I'm not endorsing it. <laughs> but the big mistake that is in The Hangover, you can enjoy it and laugh, is the fact that at the beginning, you know, they're all like, oh, marriage. You know, I mean, we get this thing, oh, you really don't want to go to marriage. Most chick flicks... Or you know romantic comedies, what do they do? That's kind of the attitude at the beginning. By the end of it, they recognize that there's something better off with with this with this romance that's going to happen. Um, you know, in some way, they get through the selfishness, this idea of doing what you want, to this point of like living together and choosing love. Um, but that's that's this idea of anticipation that I think is big. It's this idea of the reveal that's happening. This is what's happening in Revelation 21, 1 through 8, what we just read. This is exactly what's happening. Um, I do want to read, read the passage again now that we've talked about anticipation. I'm going to read out of a different translation, one that's uh, um, maybe a little more... Uh, less big words. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to read it again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the former heaven and the former earth passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne and said, Look, I'm making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, All is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will freely give from the life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God, and they will be my sons and daughters. Before the cowardly, the faithless, the vile, the murderers, those who commit sexual immorality, those who use drugs and cast spells, the idolaters and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. Can we see how this is the big reveal? Um, Revelations up to this point, if we go back to the beginning, it's been a lot. This apocalyptic nature, you know, that Steve talked a little bit of last week. There's a lot of stuff that goes in here. A lot of dragons and, and beasts and harlots and, and uh, lakes of fire or, or wars and the opening of scrolls and seals and all this stuff. It's really interesting to read. But the point is we get here. This is actually, if I had to say, this passage is the climax of the story. In fact, I would say this story is the story. As in, this is the story of the Bible um, that we see here. And so if you want to go with the big idea, the next slide, this is the big idea today. God keeps his promises. Will you let him? God keeps his promises. That's what we're seeing. Um, we're going to move through this uh, looking at a few different things. It just shows how, really, if we break down this passage the first six verses, one through six, when you look at it, really are about establishing I am God. This is actually God that's showing you this. I am who I am. I am the same God that was yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm going to fulfill the promises that I've been giving. And the last part is this idea, will you let Him? Will you let God be victorious? Will you let God keep his promises with you? This is the big idea. God is faithful. Um, starting in verse 1, I just want to talk a, a, a little bit about one of the ways why we can see, I mean, there's some interesting things here in this worldview, this, this, this stuff that's put in here. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth passed away. It's interesting. doesn't talk about the whole world getting burned up in a big old flame, you know, which we do hear a lot of times, you know, when we look at stuff. We see that it's, it is passing away. Something has transformed this world, glorified this world. Um, What does that mean? I know when I think about one of the best places to be on this planet, it's on the ocean, sir. You know, seeing seeing the surf, watching the waves, you know, and everything. And, man, you know, there's some great creatures like whales and dolphins and turtles and fish. Are they not going to be anymore because the sea is no more, what we see there in verse 1? I just want to bring this up. That's... It may or may not be. I think that there will be, in a sense, ocean surf, you know, in some sort of form. or we don't necessarily know what's getting talked about here is we have to understand the worldview that they had then. They didn't think of the world as a globe back then. They didn't know um, of of the expanding universe and the where the stars were and how many light years were between them. They didn't know this stuff. They speculated on many different things, but their worldview was much differently. And so, go to the next slide. This is uh, really kind of an ancient worldview, and there's variations on this. Some people were already starting to say, is the Earth the center of the universe, or center, center of the solar system, or is the sun? There's starting to be that discussion. But the consensus is this. And so, I'm gonna just come up here real quick. But basically, what we're looking at is a three-level. They had like kind of this idea of three levels. You remember, what, um, they thought the world was flat, right, until. I don't know, not long before Columbus or something like that. Um, But, you know, we we still were talking about this. So what we had, what what you see here, the earth is this flat part in the middle. You can see the underworld, that's Sheol, that's Hades. You know, when you hear those words, that's what it's talking about. It's actually not, it's it's this thing under the earth. Um, You can see the firmament with the stars that's still considered, everything up to the firmament is still considered earth. They thought all the stars were on the inside of that firmament, firmament. Um, that the moon and the sun were, were kind of there in the firmament. And as, as it developed, they realized that those two, moon and, moon and sun, and then a couple other stars that they end up realizing were planets, they move a little bit differently than the other stars. So they almost end up having, like, orbits inside this firmament. But that was the earth. The heavens was what was outside this firmament. Like, for instance, we go walk outside today, it's a blue sky. Why is the sky blue? Because there's water up there outside the firmament which is the ocean of heavens. And then you have the heaven of heavens, which is up there. Um, in, a, in a particularly Hebrew or Christian you know, thought, or I guess the Jewish thought of the time, you know, and into the early church even, the throne room. We saw the throne room, a voice from the throne coming in this passage. The throne room is in the heaven of heavens, and it's where God resides is the throne room, and that heavens. So it's everything that's outside. So you can think of when it says the new heavens and the new earth, what we're seeing is that all of creation, The part where people dwell, which is the earth, and the part where the heavens dwell, or where God dwells, which is the heavens, the realm of God, are going to be made new and brought together in an interesting kind of way. The other thing that we see here is the sea will be no more. What in the world does that mean? You can see this idea that the earth, you can kind of see in here there's water. There's the primeval ocean. You see that on the sides. You have this thing called the pillars of the earth at the bottom. The idea was the earth was somehow sitting on this the deep, the waters of the deep, and it came into the, it came into the seas. So things like the Mediterranean and the other stuff, the deep waters had a connection to it. You know, you saw this in Greek mythology and all sorts of stuff too, how they had like Neptune and you know the other stuff that of of like the way they mythologized this waters of the deep and what's down there. Well. The correlation to this passage is that the sea, the ocean, the waters of the deep equals chaos. There's a chaotic nature to water. And, it may be, and maybe that's like when you go and you, see, you, know, you go see the ocean on the shore and you see it just churning and tumbling. It's, it's chaotic. It's a lot more active and chaotic than maybe sitting and watching the wind blow through trees you know, from, 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 from that idea. So what this means, what is being said here, is that chaos will be no more. This goes back to what Steve talked about last week. We saw that death and the grave were thrown into this burning lake of fire, the second death that we also end this passage with. But that was just talked about just before this. So guess what? When God gets to the point of judgment and the throne of God, and it's that time, and he takes death, and he takes the grave, He brings everybody out of the grave, out of the waters of the deep, out of all this stuff to to bring them back for their judgment. And then throws death in the grave into this burning fire. Guess what goes with it? Chaos. That's what we're being affirmed here. God's going to do what he said. Because when God created the world, if we go back to Genesis... When we go back there, what did he do? He brought order out of the chaos. If you go back very, very beginning of Genesis, that's this idea. Somehow the created world has an order that is out of this chaotic uh, nature of things. And so chaos now is no more because the enemy, the adversary, is no more. This specifically, from, from this worldview... Um, I, I think it's just really important to understand, and you know, when we look at this, is because this directly leads to those next uh, the the next verses, like verse four, which is He will wipe away every tear from their eyes; death will be no more, which we you know had last week as well. Um, no more mourning, crying, or pain. These are the things that come with chaos. These are the key things that come with death, the grave, dying. They're not the intention of God, but they're part of our existence now. And so, what we're seeing is that God is going to fulfill His promise from the beginning about saying, "I want you, I want you to live. I want you to have life." You know, we talk, we're saying quite a bit this morning about eternal life or these other things, the promises of God. We're seeing in the very fabric of this, hey, guess what? God's going to keep His promise. It's going to be life, not chaos. It's also going to be here, not there. That's the other, other thing I think that we want to talk about with this. Is when we see the new heavens and the new earth, it's not this idea that our soul, like everything that we see now, is going to go away, and our soul's going like, to pick up a pair of wings and a harp and flutter up to the clouds and be somewhere else, and that's how eternal life's going to be. You know, I mean, it's, it's fun. That's not what we're seeing here. What we're seeing is that there's a new heavens and a new earth, so it's going to be very physical. You know, it's not, we're not escaping. We're, we're, we're not running away. God can't run away. If God is going to be victorious, it has to be here. It has to be something that has very much to do with creation. And we see through, through this entire thing, up to this point, this is the climax. This is God being victorious. You know, this, this is his moment. This is the moment when, yeah, we've been doing all this. It's, it's, it is now time for us to be one. So that brings us into verse 3. The statement's made. uh, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. That's not the first time that that passage has been uttered in, 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 in the course of Scripture. That passage has actually been mentioned quite a bit. This idea that I will be their God and they will be my people, the readers of Revelation, the people that John was writing this book to, would have recognized, and it's also something we would recognize, this is the very promise God's been making since the fall of man. This is the promise that God's been making. That I will be your God, and you will be my people. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout Israel, we see um, Leviticus, let me get that first for you. Um, But in Leviticus, yeah, I'm not going to find out of course right now. In Leviticus, it's part of the very law that I will be your God and you will be my people, speaking to Israel. Before that, you're seeing that with Abraham, with the different people. The God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When that reference is made, the God of your people. I will be your God. You will be my people. This even comes into the New Testament. Um, actually, what Amanda read this morning, and, and, and Mark really illustrates this, that that there's this aspect of I am going to be with my creation with with there's no way for us doing our things to earn eternal life but eternal life is is, is not imp- it's impossible for us but it's possible with God when God does this he reaches in he brings us he restores us into this idea that I am and that's what we see don't we we see this idea what does God do he affirms who he is look at those next few passages i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end. We've heard that before, too, haven't we? Not the first place in Scripture that talks about the Alpha and the Omega. Um, and Alpha and Omega has to do, you know, kind of with the Greek alphabet and the others. It's the beginning and the end. It's really this idea that creation starts and ends with God. He is. God is. I am. The great I am. So what we're seeing in that passage, really, what God's doing here is saying, I still am. I'm, bringing, I'm finally bringing this about. I am going to keep my promise to you. I will be your people. Or, I will be your God, and you will be my people. That's what we're seeing. It's a promise being kept. And, and I do want to illustrate, you know, kind of this idea. Um, it's the big idea for this passage. I would say this is the big idea for everything. This is the big idea. That God is faithful God keeps his promises. He is our God and we will be his people. So this this is the big idea. Um, Something that's very, very important. Because God wants to be with us. There's a word that's used actually for Jesus. One of the ways that we talk about him as, as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, a word called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We see how this ties in. I will be your people and you will, or I will be your God. I'm still saying it wrong. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is at the core of everything. This is Jesus fulfilling of the promise and now leading into that moment, that final reveal when it's coming. It's going to be complete. The engagement period is over. I mean, if we think about it like that. God's promised. And when we enter into a covenant with him, you hear that, you know, covenant. Jesus, the covenant. There was a covenant with Israel. There's this this idea of covenant, marriage covenant. You know, we talk about all these things. We've made a promise to allow God to be Lord, Jesus to be Lord. When we follow him, this is the culmination. This is the wedding day. This is the time when all the joy, all the peace, it all gets brought up in this moment. It's coming. It's coming. And we're going to see as we continue through how that continues. You know, that'll continue in this narrative. How how we're just going to see this rejoicing because it's happening, finally. So, the narrative kind of switches here, though, in verses 7 and 8. Suddenly it says, He who overcomes these things will inherit... or. And I will be his God, and he will be my son, or he will be my sons and daughters. Somehow, those who overcome the trials or whatever is going to, you know, going to be there, they will inherit it. But then, in verse 8, you have this, this list of stuff that they're not going to be there. They're going to get thrown in the second in that, in that fire where the, where the second death is. So it's kind of like, yes, it's coming, but yet, do, are you going to be there or not? Are you going to be there or not? He's going to keep his promise, are you? Are you going to let him keep his promise to you? So, so what, what is being said here? Let's look at verse 8 first, and then we can kind of tie that back into verse 7. Let's look at this list. It's an interesting list. The cowardly, the unbelieving or the unfaithful. There's murderers, there's immoral people or sexual immoral, sexually immoral people abominable people, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. What do these things have in common? It is interesting, actually, this is the only place that cowardness, like cowardly and actually unbelieving or unfaithful is actually lumped in a list like this within the Bible. It's the only place that it gets thrown in here that if you're cowardly or unbelieving, somehow you're going to end up in this uh, this the second death, in this leg of fire. I would say that what's... To note here, this is not to say that if you have accidentally been a coward at some point in your life, or you have committed a sexually immoral act, or you lied about your grandmother's cookies, or you know whatever it is, that's not saying oh you have done it now you're getting thrown in the lake. Because again, we're not going to earn our eternal life. God is 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 doing it. He's drawing us. He's drawing us back. That's what Jesus is all about. You know, to, you know. Without getting into that short. it's it's grace. It's bringing us that other that second chance. But what it is, is what if somebody's unrepentant about these things? What if somebody continues to be cowardly? Again, cowardly, we've just been reading this whole big stuff within Revelation of the beast and the dragon and these forces and the, and the wars and everything going on. If you actually don't stand up and, and come and stand on the side of Christ, let him, draw. Him, you stay away from him. If you keep turning your back on him, if you're being a coward and never actually, you know, uh, affirm Jesus for who he is, well, you're never going to be with him. Because you're refusing to be with them. Because you're a coward and won't stand up. That's kind of what's getting at with this idea of being cowardly. Is that, oh, there's too many troubles. I might face troubles. I can't step out and I can't act or I won't I won't come forth at this time. Again, we're seeing that everybody's being brought before God at the day of judgment at the end of, of chapter 20. And so now we're doing this in the new heavens, the new earth, the Jerusalem, which is the throne room of God coming to earth in, a, in one sense. And I'll let Amber talk about that next week. Maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, it, it goes in because this, this talks a lot mo- uh, more about it. But it's it's this idea that it's, it's coming. It's now. He's bringing everybody there. Are we going to let him? Are we going to be there? That's cowardly. If we're unfaithful or unbelieving, we don't believe God. Um, one of the good examples of this, and one of the things, um, how many people have read the Chronicles of Narnia? You know, C.S. Lewis, the, you know, the thing. The last battle, the last book in the series, it is this picture that is at the end of that book. It is this idea that they're fighting, the, the, the people they are fighting this battle. It's actually a losing battle, but they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting throughout the entire last battle. And eventually there's this door that they get thrown through, um, you know, at times. And they see people getting thrown through the door and nobody ever comes back. And so they're all scared of this door. But when they finally end up getting and having to go through this door at the end of the movie, they realize, oh, it's the new creation. And so it's just wiping away, and everything is. It's the same thing they can still see through the door back into as as it's becoming. But in front of them is this glorified new heavens, new earth, and and the land of Narnia, you know, their, their imagery. That's what's happening. There's this group of dwarfs that's sitting there, turning inward, that still thinks they're just sitting on the inside of that shed that had the doorway in it. They think they're just sitting inside a shed. They don't see the new heavens and the new earth around them because they're refusing to see it. It's kind of an interesting idea. So the new heavens and the new earth, God has actually revealed that He is God. He's coming. This is a moment when everybody's before the throne room of God. There's still going to be some people saying, nah, you're not there. You're still going to be unbelieving or unfaithful. That's only something for us, you know, when we come. It's like we have to check our heart. Are we going to believe? Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to let God keep his promise with us. Same thing when we get into these other acts, murderers, immoral or sexual immorality, idolaters, liars. What these have in common is that it is a purely selfish motive. You're doing it at the expense of something else just to get something for yourself. That's what we're seeing here. So, you know, I don't think it's this lie about your grandma's, you know, cookies, but if you're lying to gain power or control or something on our current thing and you continue and you consistently lie and lie and lie and you let it be come I the only reason you lie is, is for really it's for something that you're trying to set within yourself you know I, I I would draw a line here between like the Anne Frank and the you know the people who, oh I don't have Jews in my basement when they talk to you know talk to Nazis I don't think that's what we're really getting at with this lying here we're getting at It's something that is driving that I'm refusing to let God be God, and I'm just going to do and take care of my own. That's what we're seeing in verse 8. We're seeing this list of people as saying, some people are going to still refuse to be with me, and they're going to get thrown in the second death. That's what we see when in verse 7 it says, he who overcomes... When we recognize that we have this battle, this spiritual battle, this whatever it is that's going on in us, we see it all throughout Scripture, we see it in Revelation, we see it in this point, we're dealing with these things. You know, we're we're dealing with this battle. We're not perfect, but are we willing? Are we open? Are we able and allowing God to be God? Are we allowing Jesus, the gift that Jesus brought us, are we allowing that to actually take hold of our life? Are we allowing Him to be Lord? Or are we only trying to get something out of it? You know, I think it's it's that turning. I am. We just heard. God is stating, I am. I will be your God. You will be my people. You can only be my people if you acknowledge that I am God. So really, how does this tie together? It, it, it really does tie together with this idea that there is this big story this this grand narrative that we've been going through this, the, God has been working working and working and working and John in this vision is seeing you know what the ending is God's going to keep his promise that's the big idea and so for each of us as we move forward will we let him will we let him keep his promise to us I can't say whether or not Amanda's going to let God keep his promise to her. But I can say if I'm going to let God keep his promise to me. And so that's the thought that I want us to to take from today. Are we going to let God keep his promise? There'll be those times when we don't know what's going on. There's going to be those times still because we're in that engagement period that we're struggling. God, where are you? Why are you up in Colorado and I'm out here in Arizona? You know, and so you have to pick up the call, you know, phone and call or you know, your prayer, you know, all these things and get back to it. It's like, yes, that's the period we're at. God's here, He's going to answer, He's going to be with us. But there's going to be those times where we don't feel it necessarily. And we have to continue to be faithful and and to know. I want to return to this idea of anticipation where we started. Because knowing the end makes all the difference now. There's no way that it can't. Let me give you a quick example. I'm going to into two examples. But the first example was last Sunday. I left and got home, and I'm a huge football fan. So I record the early games that start actually at 10 o'clock in the morning right now, so I can start, so I don't check anything, so I can get home and start watching the game. So I actually was recording two different games, which meant the TV, when I turned it on, would be on one of the two games, but I was trying not to see it and, you know, and, and actually get ready to start after church last week. Well, I'm a huge Indianapolis Colts fan, and that was one of the games that I was recording. They are playing the Green Bay Packers. And as the TV flashes on, what do I see? Andrew Luck smiling and running into the end zone, pumping his fist. And I'm like, oh, I now know how this game's going to end. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh. But I'm also going, oh, this is, this is a good ending. So I went back. I still went back, and I watched the entire game. You know, I fast-forwarded through three commercials, which is the fun part with DVRs. But, uh, um, but I went through. You know what? I did? Wow. How did they win this game? Because they got off to such a bad start. They were doing down twenty-one-three at the halftime. It looked bad. It looked like the enemy, the Green Bay Packers, was going to win. <laughs> you know, yeah, Green Bay Packers, Satan. I, you know. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but, but really, but there's this. I think, and, and I'm sitting there going, how in the world did they put this, pull this off? Now, if I hadn't seen the end. I wouldn't have been thinking that. And I'd have been like, oh, I'm mad. I'm just going to start fast-forwarding through this more. But it became this idea. I was like, wow, how did they pull this out? And I kept watching and kept watching. Oh, wow, yeah, they're turning around. Wow, that was a really good play. Wow, man, they just can't. And to see the momentum shift and to see the game unfold made all the difference. And how I viewed it, that's what we get with anticipation. God's going to keep his promises. That's what we're seeing here. The surprise end is the fact that he's going to win. Steve talked about last week, we, if we know that, that changes what we do. That allows us to go, okay, yeah, maybe I do need to check this thing about myself. Maybe I am being selfish on this particular thing, or maybe I'm doing something else, and I need to return to God. I need to give it over to God. I need to to seek Him because He's going to win, and I know that he'll, he'll accept it if I come back because that's one of the great things. God's so gracious. It doesn't matter how many times we screw up if we're still open and willing and come back to Him. It's the idea that, oh, I, God's saved me or given me grace and I can do whatever I want now. That's not what we see here. It's still about being with God. And so if we're pursuing God, we keep our eyes fixed on the kingdom of God and we mess up and then we pick ourselves back up or allow God, to, Jesus, to pick us up and we say, yeah, I screwed up there and i got to try again. Completely different attitude. That's what we're seeing. That's where we're at now. So this this vision of the future is also in this moment. and And... One of the things that we can look forward to is that it's a day of great joy. Anticipation, just as the wedding day was a day of great joy. The day was uh, of a, what, two and a half years of knowing each other before we got married. From the time, you know, we met and started dating and got engaged. of, of Developing that relationship and being with him. And so you can go to the next slide. God keeps His promises. Will you let Him? It is a day of joy. It is a time when we can rejoice. And so, will we be there? Will we recognize that? Will we jump for joy? Yes, this is real. This is at the front. Nobody knew we were going to do that. It. it was fun, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and no, wardrobe malfunction, right? You didn't even realize when you posted this picture that it was going to be used, did you? <laughs> Recently, but um. Yeah, it's, I just want to leave us with that. When we walk out today, as we leave and enjoy a piece of cake, we can take part, it's a little bit of the cake, it's a little foretaste of the grand party that's going to be there, that we're going towards this end, this this day, this wedding day, this returning of of God, this, this culmination of everything that God has promised coming to fruition. And so we can live in reality of this now.